before I get started at all, I, I just want to let you know that like Tri-City is one of my favorite churches in honestly the world. I love, I love this place. I love coming here. I love being a part of it. I loved being part of it. And despite Matt's uh, attitude, <clears throat> I've... I've loved being part of the, uh, the PLT, the, the plant leadership team here for a while, and I'm super excited about what's going to happen in the future. I hope you are, too. It's really cool. This sort of thing doesn't happen that often, right? I mean, that you end up uh, planting a church, and all these people start coming, and it's, it's, it's great. You guys have a great pastor, a great pastoral staff, and so I'm super thrilled to be here. Listen, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, while you're finding that, 1 Timothy 6, I'll start by reading verse 3 in just a, just a minute. Uh, when, I was in, when I was in seminary uh, in Dallas, Texas, a friend of mine, Kyle, who now works actually at Northview with me, um, we used to get together for lunch. My house was right, my apartment was right next to the campus of Dallas Theological Seminary, and so we would keep come over to my house for lunch. We would watch uh, Hogan's Heroes first. <clears throat> and then um, after Hogan's Heroes, by the way, it, who in the room does not know ho- what Hogan's Heroes is? Yeah? No, yeah? Okay. So you go online. It's 1960s kind of a satire on uh, Nazi Germany. So like, like the proto Jojo rabbit, I guess. Um, so uh, Kogan's Heroes, and then followed by, we were never quite done, followed by this televangelist guy who we did not, th- he didn't tell the truth about most things, but man, he was funny. Uh, his name was Rod Parsley, and you probably wouldn't know his name. Uh, Parsley, he had, he had a deep voice from Texas, and he would say things like this, you know, it's so good, and uh, well, well worth it. Anyway, so he was trying to raise money a couple of years ago, right before 2017, uh, he is a, a big advocate for what is commonly known as what's called the prosperity gospel, which means that if you give God some money, God owes you some money back, and probably more than you, you gave. In fact, you can speak things out into the world, supposedly, and you can get stuff back. So if you want a new car, or a new house, or a new wife, or a new whatever doctor, or whatever, I... I decree, decree and declare it that this is the case, and then God would give that back to you, but you have to attend the speaking with some form of giving. This is the, this is the play. And so, a few years ago, he, uh, he did, they had to, at the end of the year, they needed to make, their, uh, make enough money, I guess, to pay their bills, and so he had from December 25th to January 31st, 2016, his, what he called the seven days of suddenly campaign. And so uh, the belief is that God does things suddenly and he's going to do something suddenly for you if, uh, if you help God out a little bit by giving him some, some money. So you send, send Pastor Rod some, uh, uh, your need, whatever it is, like I said, whatever it is, uh, a new uh, whatever, business, whatever, and he will pray over it for that week. And then you will receive it suddenly at the end. So the video that, we, that I watched that, that advertised this, here's, here's what he said on the video. I, I kind of want to do his voice, but I, it, it would really detract from it. But uh, the spirit of the living God uh, has spoken to my heart that the answer you so desperately need, the answer to that urgent financial need, to your crucial family crisis, to your greatest physical or emotional need is wrapped up in God's number of perfection, the number seven. In seven days, suddenly, I believe God is about to rush with your miracle into every situation of your life. 
We are approaching a very significant year on God's calendar, 2017. It's a seven in it. And Hebrew year, I didn't know this, 5777. This is when your enemies are to be driven back. Your seven days to suddenly is on its way. So call right now or visit my website. Don't miss this opportunity. So I did visit his website. And on the website, here's, here's his follow-up. So how can it happen, he writes. When you need a miracle, God will always talk to you about a seed. Can I just pause here? That is, it's not true, okay? It's not true. I'm not affirming broad parsley's here. God will always talk to you about a seed. So when you submit your prayer needs, I want you to pray about sowing your best seed of faith. When you sow what you've been given, I believe you will reap what you've been promised. Our seven days to suddenly begins on December 25th, so I want you to fill out your prayer form and sow your best seed faith gift today. When I was driving through uh, Zambia a number of years ago with, a, with, with my friend who was a missionary there, we would pass by these massive churches, just enormous churches. Zambia, a very poor African country, huge church, opulent church, huge church, opulent church. Finally said to my friend Steve, Steve, what, what's going on here? Why are there so many huge churches that are in the neighborhood of the, slum, the slums? enormous, opulent, beautiful churches. He said it's because everybody in the slums who attends the church gives everything that they've got to the church because the pastor is promising that if they do sow a seed of faith, they will receive God's best in return. He said that the recent studies show that about 90% of the African continent is being devoured by the prosperity gospel. So you hear stories about all the Christians, people coming to faith in Africa. Well, 90% of the churches that they will attend will be preaching something like what Rod Parsley preached. Kenneth Copeland is a name that you might be familiar with. In fact, he would be one of the grandfathers of the prosperity gospel movement. He wrote a book uh, a number of years ago called The Laws of Prosperity, he runs a ministry called the Believer's Voice of Victory, and he's really involved in the Trinity Broadcasting Network, which I'm sure that many of you have seen or heard about. His argument has been uh, that the law of attraction, which is what a phrase that's been coined by a lot of these people who teach this, the law of attraction is true. So in other words, that speaking positive things returns positive things. So if you say that you want the thing, you will, you will get it. You speak it out in the, to, the, to the world. You have creative power made in the image of God and God creates things by his word. So you preach it out in the, into the world and it comes back to you. Here's what he said in his book. You can have what you say. In fact, what you're saying is exactly what you're getting now. If you're living in poverty and lack and want, change what you're saying. It will change what you have. Now, people have criticized him for what they call name it and claim it theology. And he responds, people say I teach name it and claim it or blab it and grab it. <laughs> yes, he said, we, we named it, claimed it, got it. We blabbed it, grabbed it, and still got it. Hallelujah. And our bills are all paid. The Babylon Bee, a satirical website, of course, uh, made this comment that Kenneth Copeland is in a real pickle after audience member names and claims his private jet. <laughs> I, I worked in New Zealand for a number of years, 
And uh, if you are down under at all, one of the things that you learn is the popularity of Hillsong is huge. Hillsong is a church. Ryan Houston, the pastor there, I'm sure that you listen to their music. It's very good music. Uh, Hillsong is not as overt with their teaching on this particular subject, prosperity, but certainly it's there. Brian Houston himself wrote a book called You Need More Money, arguing basically what Copeland argued. And in as many of his sermons, he, 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 he goes to this, to this extreme. The Australians are a, a very satirical group, though. They like to poke fun at things. And so on one of their television, so secular television uh, network, they actually did a parody um, song about Hillsong. And so <clears throat> I will sing to you one of the lines in it. Uh, Praise the Lord for all the cash I've got. Praise him for my Rolls Royce and my yacht. Serving God ain't hard with a credit card. Jesus died so I could make a lot. It is as awful as it is crass, yeah? My point here is that there's some really bad teaching on money spewing from the mouths of religious men and women who are themselves getting rich in the process in our world. But what you need to know is that that's not new. That in fact, the history of the church has been littered with false teachers who have been after the same thing many false teachers are today. Gain. That's a word that the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Gain. They're, at, they're greedy for gain. And by gain, he doesn't mean popularity. He means cold, hard cash. They want money. So in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, Paul's writing to Timothy actually describes some of these false teachers. He said, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. There's false teachers among you, Timothy. The last phrase is what they're after, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Imagining that Preaching the gospel, imagining that following Jesus is going to get you rich. They were saying it then, they say it now. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 6 then starts to speak more broadly about Paul's take on money. Why are the false teachers wrong? What does the Bible actually teach about money? How does he summarize all of that? It's almost like Paul sat down, started watching TBN and said, oh my goodness, I've got a few thoughts. And here they are, Timothy. So what does the Bible say about money? At least from Paul's point of view. I've got got three things that I've picked out of this passage that I want to show you. Number one, he's going to make the argument that money is fleeting. Second, that contentment is simple. And third, that loving money is dangerous. Money is fleeting, contentment is simple, and loving money is dangerous. Let's use the first of those in verse 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Money is fleeting. Paul writes, but godliness. So but, he's comparing to that last phrase I just read. Imagine that godliness is a means of gain. But he says instead, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. 
That last phrase is one that uh, is, is actually quite popular in our, in our culture. You can't take it with you. Some of you uh, might know the, in the history of the 20th century, one of the archaeological digs that really brought a lot of people, a lot of attention uh, to the area in Egypt was, was the, the archaeological dig that brought up the, the burial ground of King Tut. Do you remember King, some of you heard King Tut, King Tutankhamun? Uh, in the history of, of Egypt, he was not really that well known, to be honest with you. There's very little written about him, if anything, written about him in the history or the annals of, of ancient Egypt. Um, that's probably because he was nine years old when he first came to the throne, right? So if you have a nine-year-old, I just want you to think about how that would go, right? <laughs> he was 19 when he died, so again... <laughs> Uh, not the best time frame for someone to be in power, <laughs> 9 to 19. I have a 19-year-old, and it frightens. I, I hope he would die if he was the king, too, if that was the case. Um, he apparently died of, uh, of, a, of a blow to the leg. I know that sounds weird, but uh, gangrene set in uh, after he broke his leg. He had malaria and couldn't walk very well, and so he fell, broke his leg, and gangrene set into his leg, and he, and he died. Back in those days, um, the way that it worked in those days is that if you if your king died, you needed to help them on their way in the afterlife. And so, what you did is you put a bunch of stuff in their tomb that would, would be useful to them. And so, when they found his tomb, it had about five thousand artifacts, many of which were made out of gold. In fact, his very tomb itself was made out of gold. He was in three different coffins, and the last coffin was totally made out of gold. Right. He had a gold chariot in there, right? Because he didn't want, you don't want to walk in the afterlife. So he was going to get this gold chariot. And uh, he had some toys for when he was a little guy. Because again, 9 to 19, he had some, you know, his little fuzzy bunny or whatever. Tickle Me Elmo was in there with him. And he had all, all sorts of stuff. 5,000, you can go and see Tutankhamun exhibits where they've kind of recreated the tomb so you can walk in and see all this stuff. And you and I, of course, look at that and we think, what a, what a dumb thing. Because why? You... Hey, King Tut, you can't take it with you. We know that. You can't take it with you. There are no U-Hauls attached to hearses, says my dad. <laughs> right, there aren't. You can't take it with you. And that's Paul's argument here. You can't take it with you. Money, money is fleeting. You, you can't take it with you. So if you're going to invest in something, should you invest in what is fleeting, the now, or should you invest in the then? Godliness with contentment is great gain because it prepares one for then. You and I, when we look at that problem, though, we, when we say, yeah, no, money is fleeting. Yeah, we're willing to go. You can't take it with you. Yes, right, right. So what do we say in response? We don't say what Paul said. Hey, we should worry then about the next life. We should invest in the next life. Seek, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Let's do all those. No, we actually look at this life and say, because money is fleeting, we better have a lot of focus on this life, right? YOLO, right? You only live once. You go down to the mall and you're like, oh, should I buy that $1,000 shirt or not? And your friend leans over and says, hey, treat yourself. <laughs> right? Parks and Rec, like, <laughs> you treat yourself. YOLO. Bucket lists, yes? 
You need to have a bucket list. You need to do all your bucket lists because you only live once. You don't want to get done with this life and not have, you know, visited New Zealand, do you? You don't want to get done with this life, not jump down an airplane. Because the assumption is what? There's nothing after this life. Is that true? Christians? Is that true? Like, and if you were going to line up the amount of time of this life and compare it to the life to come, I, I imagine you would conclude that the life to come has a lot more time in it. So if you were going to invest in one, and I will be your financial advisor for a moment, if you were going to invest in one, which one, says Paul, should you invest in? Well, the one that lasts longer. That's his point. A lot of the language that Paul uses in this little passage actually reflects some language that Jesus used when he told a story. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells this story. He said uh, he told them a parable, Luke 12, 16. So he's got his followers all around him there. And he speaks to them about the subject of money, which, by the way, he liked to talk about. It was like one of Jesus' favorite subjects. You couldn't be around him very long before he brought up money. You know, you're not supposed to talk about this sort of stuff, but if you had been around Jesus a lot, he would have broken all of your cultural rules with talking about money. Let's talk about your money. Luke 12, verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, look, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what should I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. Can I pause there for a minute? Culturally, in those particular days, uh, what happens if you were a Hebrew farmer and you were farming your land and you had extra crops from your land is you would leave the, the, the extras out in the field so that the people called the gleaners could come in afterward and they could pick the poor people. It was a way for people to be cared for in the community without the government itself coming in. People would just leave the extra bits on their property so they could come in and take it and be provided for, Okay. So the answer to the question, what should I do with the extra stuff I got, was pretty obvious. Leave it for the poor. This guy, though, he asked the question, and he's got a different answer. What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, now notice how many times he makes reference to himself. I will do this. He's having a conversation with himself. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul in this weird talking to myself, Soul, Jeff, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Yes, I do. What schizophrenic Jeff now, right? You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, <laughs> Wait a minute, there's another character in the play? But God said to him, fool. It's night, your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, so is the one who treats yourselves but isn't rich toward God. So what are you supposed to do? What was this guy's error? Well, he focused on what is fleeting in the present time sat there on his deck at the end of the day with his, with his lemonade tilting back and forth. Oh, soul, we are so happy and no one will come and conquer us now. Really? Fool, tonight your life is required of you. And then what is it gonna be worth in the life that actually is life? 
He focused on what was fleeting and not what was permanent. See, the point here is that false teachers encourage us to be rich fools. They, they focus on what's fleeting. We ought to focus on what will last. Godliness has a value for both this life and the life to come. Money's good for just this, for this, just this life. And Jesus himself, at the end of that passage where he talks about uh, this rich fool, he says this in Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. What you should do in this life? Well, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no demoth destroys. Money is fleeting. Second, contentment is quite simple. I want to read verse six again and we're going to continue on to the next little line. Into verse eight, godliness with contentment, he says, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. I, I do uh, preaching on, on the subject of money frequently, quite honestly. I've done sermon series in lots of different places on on. Uh, the subject of money, it's inevitable if people will come up afterwards or you get in conversations around the place with them and they'll end up saying, listen, I understand all the stuff that is being said, but the question I have is how much is too much? Like, what's the line? Can you give me a law, pastor, and tell me how much is too much? Because I'm thinking about choosing the Toyota or the Chevy. And I said, don't be a fool, buy the Toyota. Listen, no, but like I, which is better? Is it, is it, I know of a pastor who says it's a sin to own a BMW. Is it? Is it a sin to own a BMW? Is it? A, is it what, what do we do here? Can I have a second house? Can I have a, a vacation property? If I buy a bike, what's the amount that God would endorse? Right? If, if the bike is a $500 job from Costco, the Lord is in it. But if it's from a local bike shop and it costs $1,200, sinner. <laughs> like what, what is it? And these, these are the real questions that people will ultimately ask. I usually say, listen, I, I don't have a law, but I, I will say that if you want to have some feedback regarding what one should be content with, Paul answers that, doesn't he? He said, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Now, I know you're like, that's it, food and clothing? What about a house? What, what, what about a place to sleep? Well, Paul's using that phrase, food and clothing, to encompass, ba- he means basic needs. We, we use the language food and shelter, right? Well, I have food and shelter. Paul uses food and clothing, and in, and in it, he's drawing your attention back to that passage about the rich fool. Because after Jesus gives this word to the, about the rich fool, right? He shouldn't build bigger barns. He's it's not going to do anything for him in the life to come. You can almost feel it in the crowd. They're like, oh, but, but what if life goes in a direction that I don't want it to go? Like, what happens if I don't have it? Like, you feel the anxiety rise. Well, I'm, I'm, now I'm worried. Because I've not taken care of myself. Isn't there a place for insurance and all those things? Come on, Jesus, are you kidding? And it's almost like he's reading the minds of the people. And in verse 22 of Luke 12, he says, he said to his disciples, okay, so therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, specifically what you'll eat, or your body, what, what you'll put on, food and clothing. It's Jesus' summary as well for the basic needs of life. Your life, verse 22, is more than food and your body more than clothing. 
So, so consider the ravens. Let's all take a field trip and look out at the birds. You know, the ravens are the ones that are there all the time, and you don't, li- you, you don't even pay any attention to them because they're just such a common bird in their day. They are the pigeons of the ancient world. And sometimes you walk down the street, you get out of here, pigeon. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Look, if, if then you're not able to do this small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Well, I don't like birds. Okay, consider the lilies. <laughs> consider how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Lilies aren't like, oh, I hope it works out. <laughs> Yet I tell you that even Solomon, the greatly dressed, wealthiest man around Solomon, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Don't seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world. See, everybody else, this is what's driving them. Christian, this is what's driving them. They're people who don't believe in the Lord Jesus. They're people who haven't been saved by grace. They're people who haven't been given guarantees of eternal life and a kingdom to come. All the rest of the world, they seek after these things. And your father, the difference with you is your father knows you need them. So instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Simple. Contentment is simple. God promises to meet our basic needs and we should be content with him and with that. Why aren't we? Like, it's one thing for me to say that, but let's just be honest. I mean, we're not. So what is it? What are the forces that are at play in us that force us, especially in the Western world, to feel like, wait a minute, that's dumb. We, we need way more stuff. And the answer, I think, to that question is that our consumer society convinces us that contentment only comes with a little more than we currently have. So how do we get into this consumer society that tells us that the contentment is only going to be had with a little more than we have, which, by the way, is just a flat lie, is it not? (laughs) Like your life, my life, is an example of that being a lie. Contentment is only had with a little more than we currently have. And then when you get to that level, it's a little more than you currently have. Do you know how we got here? Uh, There has been a term that's been coined in the last 20 years called affluenza. Affluenza is a disease, say some. It's a disease that's caused by advertising. And everyone in the Western world has it. You have it. I know, I know you have it. All right, the mall is where you catch it a lot. Okay? You watch TV, and the, the goal of an advertiser essentially is to create a need in you that you don't currently have. You, you don't feel right now that you need a lot of the products that you, that you will be presented with later today. And then later today, when you're presented with those products, guess what? Affluenza will kick in, and you'll be like, oh, I think I need that. 
Craig Blumberg says it this way, a great book, by the way, Christians in an Age of Wealth, if you're interested in this subject at all, Christians in an Age of Wealth. Uh, advertising, he says, bombards us daily, creating a consumer culture that's designed to make us feel shortchanged. Last year's technology is obsolete, so upgrade it once. Don't repair a broken item, throw it away and buy a new one. Acquire more. Never be content with what you have and always look for the improved model. Isn't that true, improved model? I shave with a razor. Did you know that they kind of perfected the razor a number of years ago? It's a little razor blade and you can use it to scrape the hair off your face. One blade works. I am not kidding you. One blade actually works. But then some guy came along and thought, you know if they'll buy one blade, they'll buy two especially if we put it on the advertising that the first blade lifts the hair up above the level of its cutting and then it cuts the blade and the second one and so that the hair drops down below. Eventually, with like eight blades, we could get rid of hair altogether, right? It, would, it won't even exist anymore. And then we could put a comfort strip on there, right? Because it hurts to get the shaving done. And now comfort strip, I actually had a razor at one point that shook it was a handheld, like, it had your battery in it, and it shook on your face. Because of course you do, right? Because that's going to help shake those, those hairs up. The hairs will feel the shaking, and they'll be like, hmm, that's interesting. And then you cut them off, <laughs> right? Do you, listen, do you want the old and tired razor, or do you want the new and improved razor? The, it's 2020. You want new and improved, don't you? iPhone 10 is better than 7. It's 3 better, then seven, isn't it? It's got three cameras on it. You need three cameras. Why don't you need three cameras? Of course you do. I bought a car. Uh, 27, my car broke down in the middle of Alberta, the car I had, which happened to be a Toyota. It broke down. <laughs> Should have driven the Chevy. Anyway, I, I got the car in, 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 in uh, High River, Alberta. Car broke down in God's providence, seriously, right outside a Toyota dealer. <laughs> And I was like, oh. So I walked in and I said to the guy who was, um, who was there, the first salesman I came to, and I put my hand on his shoulder. It was very awkward. I said, you're going to sell a car today. Because I said, mine just died. And they told me that the engine is kaput and it's going to cost like six grand to fix it. And that thing's not worth six grand. So you're selling a car today. And the guy smiled. You know, <laughs> didn't have a lot of negotiating power after that. But anyway, we looked at the car. Ended up, the, the used car was a couple thousand less than the, than the new one. I was like, ah, you know what? I've never had a new car. It's 0%. Fine. We'll, get the new, we'll get the new car. Okay, so I bought this new car. I love this car. It's great. It's just outside. Um, a year later, though, they changed the, the, the design of this little car. So there's a new design. And when the new design came, I remember seeing the commercial and going, oh. <laughs> I wonder how, can I get this? Should I get this one? I should get this one, right? I wonder how much, and I started to Google how much mine's worth, and I thought, oh my goodness, what is happening? You know what happened? Affluenza. <laughs> Affluenza. You have to get to, the, get to the point where you start asking, really, don't you, to the commercials? Really? Did you know that, that the tagline for Walmart is, is save money, live better? Have you ever walked into Walmart and thought, this is living? I, I got to tell you, this is way better in here than it is anywhere else. Rubbish! It's never better in there. Right? But that's what they, they want to convince you, that that's the case. Toyota starts talking about how they can change your life if you drive the car, and the girls will all love you if you have a Maserati. Rubbish. They won't. And at some point, you have to just say, really? You have to sit and say it to your friends when the commercials are on. Really? 
Really? Really? It's the only fight that you have against affluenza. You know, Jesus actually, in that, in that uh, passage about the rich fool, the whole thing begins with this rich fool actually speaking to, to Jesus. And at, or sorry, this guy coming in and speaking to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, listen, my brother just, my dad died and my brother has received the entire inheritance. So I need you to mediate. I need you to tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Okay? It seems like a simple request. It's fair, Jesus. And you expect Jesus to say, yeah, where's your brother? Bring him over here. Hey, you know what? This isn't fair. Share it. Instead, Jesus says to the guy, why, who am I to, to judge between you and your brother? But let me take this opportunity to speak to you about money. And here's what he says to the guy. He says, take care, verse 15 of Luke 12, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Take care and be in guard against all covetousness. What is that? Affluenza. Be on your guard about thinking that you don't have something and you need something else in order to be genuinely content. Because your life doesn't consist of the abundance of your possessions. You and I probably should stop drinking the Kool-Aid. Contentment isn't found with more snuff. It's simpler than that. We seek God's kingdom and trust that he can provide for our needs, whatever it is. Whether it's a lot, a little, whatever, money is not something that we need to gain. Possessions aren't something we need to gain. They become tools that we can use to bless others for his kingdom's sake. This is the last one, okay? The third one. Loving money is dangerous. Money is fleeting. Contentment is simple. And loving money is, is dangerous. Verse nine, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Now he's gonna start talking. You listen to the language of this. He's lots of imagery he's trying to evoke in your mind. A snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So here's some of the pictures that he's trying to get in your mind. He says, those who desire to be rich fall into a snare. So I know you picture a trap, you know, uh, hanging from the rope but the, from the tree is, you know, the newest iPhone, you know, and the new, the new Toyota that I need. And then, and then on the ground are a bunch of sticks and leaves that are, you don't know, but covering one of those pitfalls that have the, that have the spikes at the bottom. And you're just like, oh, I need to have, this. what he's saying. You're going to grab for it. It's, it's going to kill you. It's leading you into a, into a trap. These harmful desires will plunge people into ruin and destruction. You, 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 will, you will be falling into your own demise. Do you remember the Lord of the Rings with little Gollum? At the end, he's, my precious, right? The fat one knows. That he's, he's falling. He finally gets the ring. He finally gets his hands on the ring at the very moment that he's falling backwards into the lava of Mordor. But he's so happy as he's plunging to his destruction. That's the image. While you get it, you don't realize, because your focus has been so much on that, you don't realize where it's led you. The love of money is a root 
of all kinds of evils. It's a weed that grows up and it just starts to spread everywhere. It's a root of all kinds of evil. Some have wandered from the faith. Jesus tells the story on the, in the parable of the soils where he says as a farmer goes out and he throws some seed into a field and some lands on a path and the bird comes and picks it away. And, and then some lands on a rocky soil and it's like you're, you begin in faith. You receive the word of God and you begin in faith that the, your roots don't go down deep enough so when the hot sun comes up, it beats down on the plant so that you, you, don't, you just don't have what it takes to persevere and it dies there. But then the third soil is this, this seed that goes in and it's, it's surrounded by thorns and those thorns and thistles, those weeds, they go down as well and they, they fight for, for the water in the soil with the plant itself and so it gets choked out. And when Jesus explains that soil, he says, what, what are the weeds? They are life's worries, riches, and pleasures. What chokes out faith? Worries, riches, and pleasures. Some, by chasing money, have wandered from the faith that they first started to adopt. It's like you're standing. He's trying to say, listen, think about all the imageries. You're standing on the edge of a minefield and there are bodies strewn all over the place and exploded mines everywhere. And you stand back there. The big minefield says, love of money. You see everybody strewn all there and you think to yourself, you know, they're kind of stupid. I bet I could make it. <laughs> here and then here and then. So don't be a rich fool. Loving money is foolish. Look, even if TV preachers and the whole society keep trying to convince us to buy more and more, don't listen. God can provide what we need. And we can be content with that and with him. Or as the psalmist says in Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. May it be. Let me pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your grace. I'm thankful for a well, challenging passage that Paul puts in this little book. And I pray, Father, that you would help us by the power of your spirit to consider what is said here, Father. We do have enough. We have enough in the gospel. We have enough in Jesus. And we will eternally have enough. Help us to use the things that you've given us to pursue that end, Father, instead of constantly trying to treat ourselves to the next thing, thinking it's going to make us happy. We thank you for him, our Lord Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.